0: This is John Floridas. welcome to Musicians Spotlight. Today we welcome back Hilary Hahn. This is John Floridas. Welcome to Musicians Spotlight. I'm very pleased to welcome back to our program by phone, Hilary Hahn. How are you doing, Hilary?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm doing real good. Now, remind me where uh, you are calling me from.
1: I'm in the Northeast. I am in the Boston area, and it's a beautiful day. We're starting to feel a little bit of spring
0: Outstanding, outstanding. Well, before we go any further, I'll tell listeners Hillary Hahn.com is the name of Hillary's website. There's one L in Hillary and two H's in Hahn. And Paris is the name of the most recent recording. We're going to talk about that and uh, find out a little bit more about how that came about. Some great stories behind that. If you're not familiar with Hillary, she's a multiple Grammy award-winning violinist, concert performer, and recording artist, born in Lexington, Virginia, grew up in Baltimore. She's had an amazing career beginning at three when she started playing violin, not surprisingly immersed in the Suzuki method, and I want to come back to that later in the conversation. At 11, she made her debut with the Baltimore Symphony and the Philadelphia and Cleveland Orchestras and the New York Philharmonic. Not bad. They're pretty good groups. Uh, Carnegie Hall debut in 1996. Also, I did some research. If I'm not mistaken, you did a uh, performance on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in 1996.
1: That's true. That was a dream I didn't know I had until I was in the middle of it. <laughs>
0: What do you remember about that? Before I go any further with your your uh, your, your uh, resume, I got to hear about Mr. Rogers.
1: <laughs> well, I grew up without TV in the house. And so when we would go on our annual um, beach trip and stay in a motel for a week, I would always scan all the channels to see if Mr. Rogers was on. I was just in love with that show. And I didn't I, I didn't have a relationship to Sesame Street or anything like that. It was Mr. Rogers for me. So um, when I got an invitation to visit the Mr. Rogers show, I had been playing a lot in Pittsburgh at the time. And I think that's why they reached out to me and why they, they thought of me because they that's where they were based. And I went to the show. I got to see all of the set. Mr. Rogers was the exact same way in person that he is on the shows. And it was such a sweet experience. I also was, you know, wondering, when is it okay for me to speak in this episode? (laughs) Because
2: he was asking
1: such deep questions. He was asking insightful questions. I could have answered for hours. But then it's Mr. Rogers. I don't want to talk over Mr. Rogers. So... Um, it was a really Mm -hmm. great, it was a great experience and I am really glad I got the chance to meet him in person.
0: Well, I was going to say, it's almost like playing for the Pope, which you've also done. (laughs) And, uh, as I mentioned, multiple Grammy nominations and awards and collaborations with artists outside of the classical world. Hillary talk to me a little bit about Lexington, Virginia, and Baltimore, and not so much about the musical part of the journey. But just your memories you kind of touched on that a little bit here just a second ago talking about you know going to the beach and tuning into Mr. Rogers neighborhood um, but but just some some general flavors of Lexington and in Baltimore as you were growing up.
1: Well Lexington, I cannot provide much about from my memories as a child because we left when I was eight months old. so I can't oh. say that I remember this or that about Lexington but I have gone back. there are a couple of universities there. Washington and Lee and VMI and WNL has Washington and Lee um, WNL has a concert series. So I played on the concert series as a grown up, and I got to go back and and see the country. Also, I used to go to a summer um, a summer camp in Ohio, and we would always drive past Lexington, which is in the Appalachian Mountains, and I just always thought that was such a beautiful area of the country. It's lush. Rolling hills, an old mountain range, and I also like that it 's in the Shenandoah Valley. It just sounds so romantic <laughs> and it also sounds very much like um, you know when you learn about folk music there's there 's a style of music from there, and you when you 're there, you can see how these things evolve, and it 's also the same when i 'm in Montana. I can understand how things evolve certain ways out of Montana, like the art, the photography, the music. There's just a feeling when you're in a place. In Iceland, when I'm in Iceland, there's a certain feeling to that place. But back to the the life experiences and like childhood memories, I bounced around a bit. I guess my whole family bounced around a bit, which is why I bounced around a bit because I was little and I was with them. Uh, we went to several different, lived in several different places before I was Three, I think it's because my dad was working in journalism and, um, he, in journalism at that time, you would move from one organization to another. And so we eventually wound up in Baltimore and that's where we stayed. Um, and that's where I started violin. But I also remember, um, yeah, I remember growing up there. I wasn't in the city. We were in the suburbs and we lived across from a soccer field. So I would see the little league games almost every day at the, at the diamond. And then, you know, I would go out and like kick a soccer ball across the street, but I went to, I went to, um, so my dad was working at Goucher college. And so I spent a lot of time in the library there where he was working and I went to a daycare on the campus of the college. And so I've always really liked sort of the vibe of um, a community and I think that's where it comes from.
0: Hilary Hahn joining us here on Musician's Spotlight. Hilary, let's talk about this most recent recording, Paris. This is just being released as we are doing this interview in the end of February and this is just coming out. And speaking of a place and a community, I know that this is a uh, Paris is very much a part of your life and you know, not just a, a romantic title of an album. This is very much a, a community and a town and a, a city and a culture that uh, you have immersed yourself in for for many many years. Let's talk a little bit about how this recording came about. I know there's some great stories all around when it comes to uh, this project.
1: The title Paris is the last thing that came together on the record. <laughs> we did the whole oh, thing. Oh really? Yeah, we did the whole thing and then I looked at it and I was like, "Wait, this whole thing is about Paris. That's what this record is. That's why everything fits." We we're doing, well, I was doing an artist residency at Radio France, which is an organization I've had a really long relationship with. The Philharmonique, the orchestra, is how I first got involved with Radio France. And the Philharmonique, I started working with them when I was a teenager. And uh, so Radio France has several orchestras. And then there are other orchestras that um, are in Paris that are independently operated. But this particular orchestra, I just liked working with them. There's a funny thing when you work in Paris, they try to make sure that every concert is its own sort of separate experience from everything else that's going on, in the sense that if you work in Paris one time in the year, there's an exclusivity clause in everyone's contract in Paris where you can't go back with another organization that year. But um, I really liked this orchestra. So I kept going back to them. So I kept not going back and working with other orchestras. Um, And it really is my home orchestra in Paris through many different evolutions of personnel and music directors and my own repertoire. I've worked with them really, really steadily. The music director now, I worked with him before he was music director there. Music director is, um, you know, the chief conductor, the person who does the most weeks with the orchestra and does a lot of the artistic planning with the administration. So when he got that job, I was excited because I was like, ooh, we get to work together there. And that orchestra has a particular sort of um, combination of tone qualities and musicianship that is really beautiful. It's, it's touching how they make music, but it's also pretty straightforward. And I think when something is fussy, it's hard to identify with it. But when it's straightforward and spoken from the heart, it makes sense. And that's what I feel comes mm-hmm. from this orchestra. My experience with the pieces on the record, turns out I felt compelled to record them together and I couldn't figure out why but it just made sense. It made perfect sense um, based on the collaboration, based on what my dream pieces would be to do with them. And based on my experiences playing in Paris, I just really wanted to record these pieces. Paris is a city that has a huge history of artistic community and all of the works on the record were either premiered in Paris or put their composer on the map in the Parisian musical scene. I play a French violin, I always have, and that's unusual. And uh, yeah, my relationship to Paris is actually that of a, I think, a, you know, a member of the musical community who comes and goes. <laughs> I rent Airbnbs when I'm there. I, sort of um, live there in whatever neighborhood I'm playing in for that week and I have my haunts and especially going back to the Radio France where I was artist in residence in the season when we made this record I was in the same neighborhood um, every two or three months for a week or so and it just was really it is a residency as much as you get as a touring artist.
0: Hillary, I know that you have always been interested in exploring new works by composers and and in the case of the project twenty seven in twenty seven pieces you had them commissioned and we talked about that in in great detail the last time you were on the program we got actually got a lot of uh, great responses to your analogy of uh, you know approaching the composers and it, it was kind of like asking for dates and and <laughs> you know calling them and not not sure when they <laughs> when the phone was gonna ring, what they were gonna say, and it was, uh, it was great. But I wanted to go back to Paris, and I know that at least one of these pieces is a world premiere recording, am I correct? And I Forgive me, I don't have the composer's name in front of me, and I probably would not pronounce it correctly, but there was this great story about the completion of the piece and whether it was actually gonna happen, and then, you, well, you tell the story.
1: Okay, it's a sort of a story of relays and almost missed opportunities. But the composer is a Finnish composer, so in order to know how to say his name, you have to have some experience with Finnish. And fortunately, through my colleagues, I have learned how to say his name. It's Enu Johani, which is his first name, and the final, his, his last name is rautavara Tavara. I had commissioned rautavara Tavara to write a piece for the 27 Encores project. I never wound up meeting him in person. He struggled with, um, well, not struggled, he experienced ill health later in life and didn't travel. So I just didn't cross paths with him because I wasn't in Finland at the time either. But his extremely close friend and colleague, Mikko Frank, is the conductor who I work with a lot, who's on this on this record. They even did a set of conversations together that on life and art that was made into a best-selling book in Finland and translated into different languages. Miko and I worked on Rautavara's existing violin concerto. Miko invited me to do that with Radio France with this with this same orchestra. And I learned it for the occasion. I loved the piece, but I hadn't been invited to play it before. So when I was invited by Miko, who is basically the composer performing. <laughs> um just by nature of his experience with the composer, um, I jumped at the chance. In those rehearsals, I asked Miko if Raul Tavara, the composer, might write another violin concerto because I've always loved his writing for violin and I wanted to make sure we just tried to make sure that the repertoire was as you know solid for violin as possible. And Miko said, well, he's not in good health, and I don't think I can talk about it with him now, but I will speak with him in a couple months about something else when, I, when I'm back in Finland, and if it's a good time, I'll bring it up. I never heard anything else after that, but Miko did actually have that conversation. Rao Tavara said, I don't really want to write another violin concerto, but I have been interested in the idea of writing a set of serenades for soloists and orchestra. So that's what they settled on. Miko went back to France, he went back to his touring, was starting to work on the bureaucratic side of commissioning music, and um, he didn't hear anything else from Raul Tavara about the pieces. So when Rao Tavara passed away, it seemed like his body of work was complete. After the funeral, Rao Tavaro's widow, Sini, took Miko, I don't know if you can keep track of all these characters, but Miko the conductor, back to the <laughs> study, and showed him this nearly complete manuscript of two serenades for violin and orchestra. They were titled in French and Finnish instead of Rao Tavaro's typical English and Finnish. So it was clear that it was for this orchestra and... It was uh-huh. it was our piece. This was our piece. And Miko had wow. not known that it existed. And it was nearly complete in the sense that the whole violin part, the solo violin part was done. Almost all of the orchestra part was done. And the remainder that had not been put into orchestral format was sketched out in piano format, which was how he composed. Miko then commissioned... Um, another Finnish composer who is a former student of Rao Tavara's to complete the work according to Rao Tavara's wishes and style and then we had our premiere of it in Paris. So that's the long story of the relay that led to the two serenades by Rao Tavara that we premiered and that are on this recording.
0: we'll be back with more of our visit with Hilary Hahn on Musician's Spotlight. Welcome back to Musician's Spotlight and our visit with Hilary Hahn. This is John Floridas. You're listening to Musician's Spotlight. I'm speaking today with Hillary Hahn. Hilary, I like to open up our social media pages and get some questions from listeners to the program and, and folks that follow us on, on social media. And we're going to get to your social media here. <laughs> so I know you're very active there. Uh, but uh, a couple that came through from fellow violinists and violin teachers. And I wanted to get to these questions. Great. Beth from Missoula, who, as I said, is also... Um, a fellow violinist and teacher she wants first of all she wants to thank you for your efforts in being the first female soloist for the suzuki recordings and she passes this along and maybe we can kind of go off of this um she says i think we can't underestimate how that affects in so many ways female students who are fortunate enough to listen to her every day as part of their practice such an amazing and inspiring role model and i wanted to ask if you could kind of touch on that and. I know that that's something that's very important to you. Uh, all 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 that's involved in that, and of course your beginnings in in Suzuki, and maybe just talk a little bit about about how you feel about that role that you've taken on.
1: I am really honored to be involved in those recordings. Um, the it, it's hard to explain the significance of the recordings if you're not familiar with the method, um, and I. I appreciate that the the teacher wrote in with that comment as well. Um, so the Suzuki method is it's a combination of sort of a communal musical experience and individual instruction. It's not meant to to turn out child prodigies. it's meant to bring people together around music, and some people take an intense route, and some people don't, but it is. It is such an honor to be in the daily lives of all of these beginning students and uh, students who are working on books one through three. And it's not just little kids. You know, grown-ups also learn Suzuki Method. So to be in the lives of these families and of the children and for that to be the basis from which they learn their music is really a mind-blowing experience. like When I think about it, I, I just... As you can tell, I'm I'm kind of overcome. (laughs) I really appreciate it.
0: Hillary, another question comes from Amelia, who is also a tremendous violinist from Montana and teacher. And she asks about your approach to musicians' self-care and longevity as performers, particularly with regards to physical endurance, and what methods you use as a teacher to help your younger students set themselves up for a healthy lifestyle as musicians, both physically and mentally. So uh, I thought this would be a good question. That sounds like something that's right up your alley.
1: That's cool. Um, It's a good question. As a performer, I am constantly aware of my body. It's not like sports where what she's talking about with longevity is it's not like sports or like ballet or something else like that, where at a certain age, generally people don't perform the sport anymore or perform that art because of the damage it's done. You are looking to keep playing music your whole life. And in fact, performers are seen as being in their prime once they, like they just start being in their prime once they're like my age, like 40s, um, 50s and 60s are supposed to be like your peak years of being a performer. So... And then you just keep playing as long as you can because then you have the wisdom. Mm-hmm. And even if your technique isn't you know, completely 100% um, nimble, you are still a great musician. And so you want to be able to continue through all of those years. So for me, I always listen to my body. If something is uncomfortable, I stop and I either figure it out or I go to people who know what's going on and I learn some new methods to um, either prevent or undo any damage that might have developed or be in the process of developing, like just to understand how the body works and to be able to have that self-awareness, I think is huge. And what an individual does with that, that's the personal journey that they have to go on. Um, But everyone could benefit from some self-awareness.
0: What about the mental aspect of, of her question there?
1: You know, I think that the music community is strongest when people are free to follow their interests and bring whatever they believe in back into their music. And it's about finding out who you are as a musician. Like, do you like this note that you're playing or do you not like that note that you're playing? Mm. <laughs> if you like it, can you stay in it a little longer? Sure. If you don't like it, can you get away from it quicker? <laughs> you know, why do you like it? Why do you not like it? Like. If you like something, can you do more of it? I I think that's an interesting thing to explore.
0: This is John Floridas. You're listening to Musicians Spotlight. I'm joined today by Hilary Hahn. Hilary, I want to ask you this question: Is there a piece that centers you? Kind of t- tied into what we were talking about with uh, you know mental aspects of music and and keeping oneself healthy psychologically. But I wonder if there is a particular piece like that that whether it's a a daily exercise or a piece that you go back to periodically that helps. Um, just kind of center you, something that's, that's just you know instantly at your fingertips?
1: When I'm trying to find my equilibrium in my playing, maybe I've been playing a bunch of things and they all require different techniques and um, maybe I've been working with a lot of different types of colleagues. I always wind up playing solo Bach for concerts and when I wind up practicing it for those concerts, I kind of find my footing again. The music by Bach for solo violin is so complex but it's for one instrument so it's like you are your own puppet master. It's really cool to be... (laughs) (laughs) It's really cool to be... That's a a
0: great analogy.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's cool to be deep in your own work and deep in something that's so complicated that it absorbs all of your, your attention. It's pretty cleansing and in a way it's like a meditation. It's. It's really hard to do, and it it requires all of your awareness, but you also have to kind of let go of that sense of control for everything to function the way it needs to.
0: Hillary, I saw in one of your video posts online, you were talking about finding inspiration in other arts, and in this particular clip, it had to do with the visual arts. And I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit more about that.
1: My first teacher always encouraged me to look at paintings, go to museums. And I don't think it really clicked until I was traveling the world and going to different museums and different places. I've always loved visual art. My relaxation is making anything with my hands, like anything I can make, crafts, art, that completely, that clears my mind and makes me feel balanced again. So I like going to museums for that but there was a time in my 20s when I was really trying to figure out who I was separate from my teaching, um, from being taught um, by my teachers and separate from what I was expecting of myself. I was trying to find my own sound and so I was thinking a lot about how the bow works and I wound up in my museum trips looking at paintbrush strokes and how painters and sculptors balance personally like everyone is different right so how does each person who's making art balance the the details with the big picture it's usually a sort of set of illusions like if you look closely at a piece of art your eye is directed to certain things by the artist and it's not everything is not in there everything is either implied or referenced so I find that really fascinating for playing music and coming up with a way to connect with people through the way I play a piece. There's a sort of structure that you can come to conceptually and the details of how you do that would vary from musician to musician. But there's a structure where you know what's important to articulate and you know what's important to give the impression of without being too deep in the weeds. And so for me, Visual art is sort of that thing I refer back to that if I'm trying to figure something out, I can always find a parallel in visual art, but something that's so different that I have to interpret it on my own back into the music. It just changes my mindset.
0: Hillary Hahn joining us here on Musician's Spotlight. Hillary, we have to talk about your social media presence. I know we, we talked about this the last time that we visited by phone. Uh, violin Case, of course, is still very much up and running. And is it, I know it's on Instagram, because I want to I tell you about the, uh, the the post that popped up right before I called you. Um, and is it also Twitter as well?
1: Yeah, it's Violin Case on Instagram and Twitter.
0: And Twitter, okay. Well, I have to tell listeners that Right before I was calling you for this interview, I just had a couple minutes, so I checked Instagram, <laughs> and there you were, yeah, <laughs> playing playing a little melody, not on the amazing uh, violin that you spoke of earlier, but on a little Tupperware thing with some rubber bands and finding the different pitches, and uh, that was uh, that was entertaining. You'll, you'll probably get more hits on that. But, <laughs> but <laughs> than these amazing concertos that you're doing but this is something that, that you're very
1: like, hmm, this is very me and also i think it's lunchtime so i think a lot of people will see this but let's just put it out there yeah i was i was pulling my lunch out that was and great I'm, like i'm busy today and so i was like pulling my lunch out and i knew i wouldn't have time to go like get something so i brought it with me and I was like, whoa, there are notes in my lunch (laughs) because the rubber band that was wrapped around (laughs) was acting like a tuned string, but different pitches. And I was like, what can I do with this? Oh, this is a musician moment. Let me capture this.
0: (laughs) I want to make sure to inspire listeners to go check that out at Violin Case, both on Instagram and Twitter. Lots of fun. I mean, and it kind of sums up your Your approach to your career. I mean, there's lots of depth to it, but there's also lots of fun stuff going on. Speaking of which, I mentioned uh, Amelia, the violinist that had the question earlier in the in the in the interview. She's want to turn me on to the Two Set videos, and for listeners, Two Set I'm saying T W O S E T, and probably their most popular one involves you doing some hula hoop. (laughs) <laughs> a talent show thing uh, with with uh, 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 hula hoop, and I believe it was at the Allegro from Mozart Concerto Number no. Five. Was was that what was that the one that you were doing the uh, hula hoop to?
1: Well, if I'm thinking of the same video you're thinking of, it was actually from one of their live shows. It was in a big theater, and we were we were friends and trying to figure out how to work together because they're a comedy duo, but they're also super like, they trained as violinists in conservatory. Their Two-Set Violin is their official full title. And they are just, they're super insightful, but also really um, funny. Like, they're, I don't know how they do it, but they're master genius people. So it's fantastic. Um, I'm a fan of theirs. And yeah, we were just trying to figure out where do we overlap? What can we do together? And I said, this is a kind of a far-fetched thing, but do you guys hula hoop? (laughs) Because I had learned how to hula hoop for a talent show um, about 15 years earlier. I just thought, well, I think I can hula hoop and play the violin at the same time. So I learned how to do that. And they said, like, the pivot genius as they are they said yeah we can learn to hula hoop (laughs) so I was like okay what can we do together (laughs) and they took that idea into Pogginini Caprice number 24 they made a game out of it like whoever can make it it. to the end and it's one of the hardest pieces in the repertoire but everyone recognizes it so it was a really good challenge because people knew what was coming up they knew that these impossible technical things were coming up and we just took turns in the piece And, um, yeah, we did the, we did that one more time. And then it showed up in a video that I did with them, um, called the Ling Ling challenge. Um, so if you look that up, you'll see, you'll see that as well. Um, but yeah, they're great. I, I consider them friends and they're, they're wonderful people, really, um, really smart business people too, but they're, they're huge, uh, success as YouTubers, lies in their ability to kind of, um, explain the humor that no one would really know about otherwise, unless you were a professional musician. So they really, they they teach people about it at the same time that they make fun of it. And, um, it's all with respect and it's all from a really, um, like informed place about the music and about violence. So you see professionals who are fans of them and you see students and you see non-musicians who don't really go to concerts, but really love their work. It's very, very cool how they bring so many people together.
2: Thank you.
0: HillaryHan.com is the name of the website you want to go to to find out more about what Hillary is up to. Lots of stuff going on in the world of Hillary Hahn. And I will say again H I L A R Y H A H N, Hahn.com. Paris is the most recent recording. She's got 22, 23 recordings. There's no shortage of great stuff to find out about Hillary. Thank you so much for making time for us here on Musician Spotlight and giving us a call and talking and shop with us. It's been a real pleasure to have you back on the program.
1: Thank you. I've really enjoyed being back.
0: This is John Floridas. You've been listening to Musicians Spotlight. Our guest today has been Hilary Hahn. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so through the Montana Public Radio website, mtpr.org, as well as through our own website, musiciansspotlight.org. You can also find us online on Facebook and on Twitter. Our program is available as a podcast from those websites as well as through iTunes and Spotify. Musicians Spotlight is a production of Montana Public Radio.